worry, anxiety. These are things that are rampant and they're widespread in our society today. According to a recent report, one out of eight Americans have been given prescriptions for antidepressants. And this shows just the amount of uh, worry and anxiety that's in our world. According to an article by Dana Smith in the New York Times in the science section, reports, quote, over the course of the COVID-19 pandemic, rates of depression and anxiety soared, and many Americans turned to antidepressant medication to help them cope. And even before the emergency of COVID, one in eight American adults was taking an antidepressant drug. According to one estimate, that number rose by 18.6% during 2020. Zoloft, one of those drugs, is now the 12th most commonly prescribed medication in the United States. So I mentioned just just to show how much uh, worry and anxiety uh, is affecting people. I think there's a sense where it affects all of us. Another article in the New York Times also had a similar headline, but this one was, uh, quote, the cat is taking Prozac and the dog is on CBD. (laughs) So not only are people worried about themselves and their issues, but worried about their pets and giving their dog Prozac and uh, CBD to to medicate them. You know, I just have to say this. Um, I buy a lot of Christian books, obviously. I'm a pastor, and I used to buy them through... Uh, well, now it's christianbook.com, but it used to be Christian Book Distributors. And so I'm still so used to calling it CBD. And so I've realized I've got to like, not be turning in like expense reports saying CBD purchase. Uh, the deacons might wonder, hey, pastor, that's not really what we uh, gave you an expense account for. Uh, but there's an epidemic of worry and anxiety that's in our society. Teens have been especially hit hard. David Murray, in, he has an excellent, uh, some books about this for teens and for parents of teens. And in his book, Why Is My Teen Feeling Like This? He notes that nearly a third of teens aged 13 through 17 will experience an anxiety disorder. There are a lot of effects of chronic worry. They include difficulty swallowing, dizziness, dry mouth, fast heartbeat, fatigue, headaches, inability to concentrate, Irritability, muscle aches, muscle tension, nausea, nervous energy, rapid breathing, shortness of breath, sweating, trembling, and twitching. And those are the less serious symptoms. It can also lead to more serious, including suppression of the immune system, digestive disorder, short-term memory loss, premature coronary artery disease, and heart attack. And now you might be thinking, great, now I have more to worry about. (laughs) That's on top of the actual just things you might be worried about to begin with. Well, it's been said that worry is problem-solving without God. That worry is problem-solving without God. And we can't remove all the difficulties from life. They're going to be there. But the real key is, what do we do with them? Or, what do we allow them to do with us? And we find ourselves wrapped up in worry and anxiety It's because oftentimes we're trying to do problem-solving in our life without God. But this passage we're going to look at shows us that there is a better way. So let's read together Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 7. It's a fantastic passage. This is worth memorizing. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We have the pleasure and privilege of looking through this portion of God's inspired word this morning. First, I want to point out this that you were made to rejoice in the Lord. We see this in the beginning. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Notice he says it again, and he says it again. Here's the thing. When someone repeats something, it shows that they think it's really important. When someone repeats something, it shows that they think it's really, thank you, really important. You know, and this is not the first time we've ran across this in the book of Philippians. Uh, chapter 2, verse 18, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, and now here. In fact, uh, the verb about rejoicing is used at least nine times. Uh, in some combination uh, compound, it's used about 16 times just in Philippians. It's such a theme in this book. But of course, we have to step back and think, well, what does it actually mean to rejoice? Because we can say this, but unless we understand, what, what are we talking about here? Does this just mean we should be constantly singing? You know, just going around, I'm so happy, I'm so happy, I've been knowing everyone around me. Uh, that's, I think that's not what it means. Other people around you can be glad that's not what it means. But I, I think we can have that misunderstanding that it's always about having some kind of superficial, uh, external happiness that we're trying to display or put on display before others. I think it does mean it has to do with joy. And I think rejoice, to rejoice does mean to, to have, to genuinely have, and to express joy in our lives. I think it's about having genuine joy. So it's not just about, you know, pretend to be happy, put a smile on your face and, and get out there. It's, it needs to start in the heart. It needs to be something that is in there deep down. But it's something also that is, that is expressed. Uh, that, that it's something that people are, are going to see one way or the other, and especially the Lord is going to see this. It's going to work its way out. Again, not just necessarily in, in singing, uh, but it is going to be a joy that um, is manifested in our lives in some way. And it's a joy that's found in the Lord. We see this in this passage. And I think we have to notice here, this is Scripture, okay? So this is the Word of God, and it is telling you to rejoice. And if rejoice has to do with having joy, it means that God is telling you, God is commanding you to, to have joy. Sometimes we think of all the commands of God. They're so burdensome. It's so hard. He just wants to crush us. He's telling you here that he wants you to have joy. Okay? Because you have to have that joy deep down in order to rejoice. He wants to fill your heart with that. He wants to give you a heart that, that has this deep down joy. Now, someone would say, well, you can't just command emotions. And we're not just talking about just emotions here, just like surface emotions. We're not talking about just this mere external happiness because uh, we're not talking about a faking something like that. And you say, well, I can't just flip a switch and, and change my heart. And maybe there is something to that. But, you know, we can be responsible for the thoughts that we have. We can be responsible for the, the actions that we have that do shape and influence our heart. Now, there is also the truth that there's a part of our heart that uh, we just can't change on our own, like no matter what. 
Uh, but that doesn't mean that we're not responsible for it. If our heart is, is wicked, if our heart is evil, um, I mean, that's the core of who we are. If our heart is ungrateful, our heart is uh, turned away from God, and what we need is for God to be working in our heart to do what we can't. And so we pray to him. Pray for God to, to work in your heart, to do what you can't do. Uh, and salvation is the beginning of having that new heart, having a born-again heart that God has changed and that is now uh, pointed towards him and is growing to take joy in God, which is what we were created to do. Because ultimately, you were created for the glory of God. And that's a good thing. It's appropriate for God, and it is also the best thing for you. Because God is glorified in your life when you find your joy and happiness in him. Which means that God is the center of the universe, that he should be. He's your ultimate treasure. He's the one you're delighting in. And so he gets to be the, the center, and he ought to be, not us. But it also means that you get the joy and the happiness that comes from that. It is the ultimate win-win relationship when we realize this. And sin and rebellion is, is, is finding our joy and our delight in, in something that's not God and making that ultimate in our life instead. So yeah, you can't necessarily um, control your emotions uh, but you can control your thoughts, choices, and attitude that shape your emotions. And as I said, you can pray for God to change what you can't. We're not talking about surface happiness. Joy is deeper. And so this is something that, that type of joy that you can have even in the midst of sorrow, even in the midst of grief, because there are times where it is appropriate to have sorrow and appropriate to have grief. And it's not always going to look on the surface uh, that the same type of happiness that you would if, if everything was going fine, and, and it shouldn't either. But there is going to be something different that comes through that we're going to be able to, to grieve, but not as those that grieve without hope. There's a change that takes place. In his book, Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller writes this. He says, Rejoicing in the Bible is much deeper than simply being happy about something. Paul dir- directed that we should quote, rejoice in the Lord always, but this cannot mean, quote, always feel happy, since no one can command someone to always have a particular emotion. To rejoice is to treasure a thing, to assess its value to you, to reflect on its beauty and importance until your heart rests in it and tastes the sweetness of it. Rejoicing is a way of praising God until the heart is sweetened and rested and until it relaxes its grip on anything else it thinks it needs. So we're supposed to rejoice. Again, we're supposed to rejoice in the Lord. This shows that it's not tied to your circumstances. It doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances. Paul is in prison during this time, but he is able to rejoice in the Lord. Your circumstances are going to change. They're going to come and go, but the Lord is stable. He is constant, and he is ultimate. And that's why it also says in this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, that can be the tricky part. It's easy to rejoice when things are going well, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's, that's the easy part, but it's when things are not going well. And so we need to keep reminding ourselves that true joy does not depend on your circumstances. Uh, it's been said by someone that in Philippians, joy in Philippians is a defiant nevertheless, that Paul is imprisoned and nevertheless he's going to have joy. He's going to rejoice. And if he's doing this, he's telling us as well that no matter the circumstances that you're going through, no matter what news that you've heard, 
that because of the Lord and because you know who he is and you know that he has a good plan, that you know that you can give a defiant nevertheless in the face of whatever circumstances you might be going through. So it's always that we're supposed to do this. There's no exceptions. There's no loopholes. And it's okay because God never changes. Now, verse goes on to verse 5, and it says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And when it says, Let your reasonableness be known, and maybe that's not the best translation. Uh, different translations try to get at this in different ways. Uh, the ESV has reasonableness. New King James and NIV have gentleness. King James has moderation. NASB has gentle spirit. And I think if you put those all together, it kind of gives an idea of what it's talking about. I think it's an idea of there's, there's a calmness you're able to have, a level-headedness. Uh, basically, it's the opposite of being worked up or distraught. And that when we are able to rejoice in the Lord instead of our circumstances, we're able to have that, that calmness, that gentleness, that, uh, uh, that evenness in our lives uh, because we're not... Uh, completely distraught about everything that's going on because we have that constant deep down joy deep inside that the circumstances of our life cannot touch. And then it says, the Lord is at hand. I think, well, what does that mean? It means the Lord is near, but there's a question. What sense is it saying that he's near? And it could mean one of two things. It could mean that the, the Lord is near in the sense of the return of Christ is near or at hand. Scripture teaches the imminent return of Christ, that at any moment, Christ could come back for our rescue, that at any moment, uh, he, the, the return of Christ uh, it could happen. He'd be here for us. So this could mean that he's near in a temporal sense, but it could also be near as far as just you know, space goes as well, that there's a, a constant nearness, that God is near to you right now that God is not distant and far off. So Jesus, his return is close at hand, and he himself is always close to us and ready to help. And I don't know which one Paul meant here, but we know from the Bible that both of these things are actually true. And maybe Paul meant it that way, to just realize and reflect on all of these ways that the Lord is near to us. And at any moment, Christ could return and make everything uh, right for us and, and begin this uh, bringing his, uh, this world to conclusion and bringing justice to this world. There's also the sense that um, he is not distant. You know, maybe you keep your phone by your bed and it has to be so near and you're putting your weird trust in, in that phone, but you know, God is closer. He is at hand. And this is something that is going to change how we feel. Good theology changes our feelings. Actually having good theology and believing it uh, will contradict and counteract the worry and anxiety in your life. Just knowing that he is present, that he's close at hand to you. So, we're supposed to rejoice in the Lord. We're made to rejoice in the Lord, but the problems of life often get in the way of that. And so, as we move on to this in verse 6, we're going to see that worry is a big issue. And worry takes your eyes off of God. And I think that's one of the biggest problems about worry. There's the things that we worry about. Okay, there's, there's that. But the actual worry itself, this anxiety when we're told in Scripture, don't worry, don't have anxiety, a big part of it, it, it takes 
our mind off of God. It creates all these different problems. I heard about a business executive uh, that um, was very, very successful, and he was being interviewed by someone, and they wanted to know what is his, his secret to success in all this. And he told the interviewer, he said, well, what I did is I hired someone to do all my worrying for me. And it just saves a lot. I don't have to do that. And the interviewer said, oh, you mean like he, he takes care of your problems for you? No, no, he actually does the worrying for me. So I don't have to, to sit around and, and, and be distraught about it. I pay this guy, and all day long he, he, just, he worries about it. I said, wow, that's, I've never heard of this. How much do you pay this guy to do this? He said, I pay him uh, $10,000 a week. The universe said, wow, that's a lot. Really, 10000 a week? He said, yeah. He said, you have that kind of money? And he said, well, that's for him to worry about. <laughs> you know, the English word worry in English comes from an old English word that means strangle. And it's descriptive of how it makes us feel. Anxiety comes from an Indo-German word referring to the suffering of, from narrowing, tightening feelings in the chest or the throat. And for those that have worry or chronic anxiety, you know, these are some of the physiological things that, that go along with that, that, that we feel it this way. Think about what worry is. Worry is not the same thing as concern. I think that's important to realize. There are things that we should be concerned about. Concern is not a bad thing. And so the opposite of worry, when we're, we're told don't worry, don't have anxiety, isn't just to say, well, I don't care about anything anymore. I'm going to bury my head in the sand or I'm going to just detach from life and be irresponsible. That's not what it's going for. Uh, so you know, concern is good, uh, but, but over-concern is not good. When it goes from concern to way more concern than it needs to be, that's when it is something that's unhelpful. But realizing that worry is not the same thing as concern. Worry is, is over-concern. That's one way to think about it. But another description that I mentioned before I think is really helpful is that uh, worry is problem-solving without God. It's we have these concerns, we're trying to solve these concerns, but we're trying to do it and taking God out of the equation. And saying God doesn't exist, I am just... Or practically, we're thinking that, that it's up to us. We are at the mercy of the, the forces in this world and the, the chance and the chaos of the cosmos. And uh, what do we need to do? And it's all in us to make sure everything goes right. And even the things that are outside of our control, how can we control them? What do we do? And you, you pile all of this uh, concerns of the world on your shoulders beyond what you can bear. And you're trying to problem solve without taking God as a factor in the equation. And whether you have God in as a factor in the equation or not is going to drastically change your emotional life. It's going to change your thought life, your view of life. So that's worry. Think of what anxiety is. It's, sometimes we use those interchangeably, but maybe a way of saying it is anxiety is that worry that's like just under the surface that sometimes you don't even know what it is that you're feeling anxious about. But you have this constant you know, a feeling like, like something's not right. Uh, you know, God's wired us that when there's, you know, there is some kind of problem, there is kind of a, a threat. You know, we're wired, we have this, you know, flight or, fight or flight mechanisms that we have. And sometimes through 
our wrong thoughts or conditioning or things, you know, we get stuck in that mode. That even when there isn't like a, a real external threat right there, that people get stuck in that mode of uh, always um, being, being worried about this. And physiologically, it can even involve your nervous system just working overtime, keeping you in this mode even when there's no real danger. And so we end up living like that sometimes. And I remember years ago, my kids had, they had some bunny rabbits. And for a while, uh, Echo and Oreo. And, you know, we had them for a while. It was, it was fine, but, you know, I, I don't know. What, what can bunnies do that my kitty cats can't do? I mean, they're soft, they're, they're nice, but they basically just sat in their cage and ate stuff and, and you know, made a mess, and, and they sat there and just kind of quivered all day long, you know, being scared of everything. And I think one of them, we don't know what happened, he just died. I think something scared him and his heart just popped. Um, this was a long time ago. You know, God doesn't want us to live like, like a scared little bunny, that we're just uh, huddled in the woods, twitching and afraid of every rustling sound, you know, thinking that every little thing that we hear is a wolf ready to just tear you to pieces. God doesn't want you to, to live your life in that constant state of anxiety like that. But I'm convinced that everyone has anxiety to one level or another. And so it's something that we shouldn't feel ashamed of. I think it's a common thing that we're going through. Um, as I mentioned, uh, it is a big issue. And all of us in one uh, some people may be more prone to it than others, but I think we all have it. Even people that seem that they're on top of the world and they have it all, you know, some Wall Street billionaire, but secretly afraid of what he could lose it all. We mentioned that it's become especially common um, with young people right now. And I think things in the world have um, brought out those feelings of anxiety even more in them. So it's something we have to deal with. The devil, I think, has a plan for your problems. And he wants to use worry and anxiety in your life in a certain way for his agenda. I think the devil wants to use it to keep you from joy in God. I think he wants to use it to, in in a way, produce selfishness in your life, the one thing that he wants you to do where you're always focused on yourself and your issues. He wants to use it to keep you distracted, to keep you frozen in life so that you can't move on towards other things. And that's what he wants you to uh, use. The devil wants to use your problems and your worries and anxiety in that way. Now, sometimes we're afraid of things that we don't need to be. Probably really isn't a monster under your bed. Um, Probably, you know, that worry about, you know, what if I greet someone at church and they're going to just laugh at me, make fun of me? Probably not going to happen. You know, we get worried about a lot of things that aren't very realistic. We've amplified our fears. Uh, But we do live in a world where there are a lot of things to worry about. Um, The economy, things with uh, Russia, uh, different situations in our country, and also a lot of things closer to home. Work, relationships, health, children's problems. The big difference is, are you trying to do problem-solving without God, or are you bringing your problems to God? It's the big difference. So worry, what it can do is it can take your eyes off of God. So going on in this passage, it says, do not be anxious about anything. But verse 6 goes on from that. And we see that according to this passage, the remedy for, for the anxious heart 
is to take your cares to our God who hears. That's what we're called to do here. That's the remedy that is being given to us. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So, it's about prayer. We're thinking, what is prayer? And I am definitely convinced that most people do not really understand what prayer is. Uh, and I, just looking at what people post on, let's say, Facebook, and some things, if you really think about what people are saying, it shows that their view of prayer is basically nonsense. Have you noticed this? For, for so many people, uh, basically, they could substitute prayer with something along the sense of sending good vibes or sending happy thoughts. And that seems nice, and it seems like you could say that even if you don't believe that there's a God out there that actually hears our prayers, that we're, just, we're sending good vibes to people. And I want to tell you that that is not what prayer is. Okay, prayer is not you sending your thoughts, sending your good vibes. And if that is the case, then prayer is pretty worthless. Because you don't really have powers to send vibes that are going to actually do anything. Okay? And if that's all we mean, then it is uh, pretty worthless. But prayer is different. True prayer, biblical prayer is different than that. I'm going to say something here. And before you run out, make sure you give me a chance to finish. There is no power in prayer. Okay, people say that, that oh, there's power in prayer. I want to tell you there's no power in prayer. But there is infinite power in the God who hears your prayers and responds to them. That's the difference. It's not, necessarily, it's not your prayers, but it's that you're talking to someone that hears this and can respond to it. If there was an accident on M37, and you went, and you went to, to help them, and you just said, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to send you my good thoughts, that wouldn't do anything for them, okay? But if you get your phone, and you call 911, and you talk to someone that is going to send help, and then you do what you can do in the meantime, that is actually doing something. And so, as Bible-believing Christians, we believe that prayer is calling for help to someone that hears and responds and can do something to help in the situation. Something that can go well beyond what we can do. And yeah, we can still try to do what we can, but we're calling on God to do uh, above and beyond and, and way beyond what we can do. But we believe that God exists and that God actually hears our prayers. That there is a God out there that hears and remember, God is near. God is at hand. He is not distant. It is not that we're, I'll send him a letter or I'll put this uh, message in a bottle and maybe it'll make it to him in 30 years. No, God, God hears this. It's an instant connection. And remember that and remember who you're praying to, that he hears. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing, all-wise. He loves you as a father. And he cares in that way. So, the power is not in prayer. It's the God that hears your prayers and responds to them. And the passage tells us a little bit more about how we should pray. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So it gives us some of the elements of prayer and how we should do this. It mentions supplication. Think of the word supply. We're, we're asking for what we need from God. 
What does God need to supply to us? And we're, we're asking him for that. Thanksgiving. And we just celebrated Thanksgiving. I couldn't make this passage land right on Thanksgiving weekend, but we're a week late. Uh, but Thanksgiving, it's gratitude. We're not talking about the meal here. We're talking about having giving of thanks, having gratitude for what God has already given us. So we're not just, God, give me more, give me more. You know, we forget about like, you know, what if, we don't want an attitude of, what have you done for me lately, God? But we're remembering what he's already done for us and having hearts that, that care about that and are thankful for this so that um, we're, we're trying to stay in the right attitude, not treating God as just a magic genie to just dispense whatever it is that we think we need next. Because, you know, the purpose of prayer is not to make you more self-centered, and if it's just about, God, give me what I need, you know, bring it to me, then that would just have the effect of making you a more selfish person. So making sure that we're having thanksgiving in our prayer is a way to keep our attitude in check with this. William Perkins wrote, Thanksgiving is a calling upon God's name, whereby we, with joy and gladness of heart, do praise God for his benefits, either received or promised. I like that part at the end. You can also be thankful for not just the things that you've received already, but the things that it's as good as received because he's promised it to you. And so you can count it as if it's in the bank already because God keeps his promises. And God is always able to deliver on his promises as well. The model praying with the acronym ACTS, I think is really helpful. And we see thanksgiving and supplication if you have all of these different items, it gives you a balanced prayer life. So adoration, you're, you're adoring God for who he is. Even before he's even given you anything, you're, thank, you're um, praising him for who, he, who God is, that he's holy, that he's good, that he's loving. Confession, that needs to be part of it too, that we're acknowledging our sin before him, confessing that, saying, having the same view as our sin is what God thinks about it. You know, that's part of what you need to do to be saved in the first place is to go before him and to confess to him that you are a sinner and to own that, that, that you have sinned, you have rebelled in his sight and that you make no excuses for that. But instead you trust Jesus Christ as your substitute. The one, that Jesus, you, you believe what it says in scripture that he died on the cross to take away your sin and to give you his gift of righteousness. But even as Christians, we should still confess our sins. Uh, not, be, not to keep yourself saved or that God is going to take that away, but now he, you're in a relationship with him and he's a loving father to you. And in the same way that if you had a, a good human father, uh, but you were rebelling against him, your relationship wouldn't be right at the moment but you would confess things in order for that relationship to be healed. So this Acts model is a great way to make sure that you have a balanced prayer life. These are all mentioned in Scripture, but in this section, uh, thanksgiving and supplication. And this verse says, in everything by prayer and supplication. This means there's nothing too big or there's nothing too small. So I'm like, well, God can't be bothered with this. This is... Uh, too small of a deal. He's not going to care. Uh, God has infinite bandwidth, okay? And so he can hear your prayers. He wants to hear your prayers, whether it's a big thing or whether it's a small thing. 
and there's nothing that's too big for God, that this is a problem on my, that is, is too big, or he wants me to handle this on my own. There's some things he does call you to do, and you're responsible, but he's there to help you as well. We've seen in Philippians, he works in and through us, empowering us for what we need. At home, um, seen it for a few years. Uh, when I go into, my daughter Zoe, go into her bedroom, and she has uh, a little plaque that she made. And it's been hanging there by the entrance to her door, and I see it, and I just I smile all the time. And I realize, wow, this is something that uh, basically is perfect for this message. And she has this plaque, and she made this a few years ago. It says, if you've got a problem, pray about it. I, just, I love that. It's so sweet. It's so simple. You know, sometimes we overthink it so much, what we need to do. We have our issues in life. We have our problems. We need to bring it to the Lord. We need to pray about it. He hears us. I asked Zoe, hey, when did, when did you make this? Did you make this? And she said, yeah, she did. And it was a few years ago. And she said, uh, it was when our cat Shadow ran away. And I think it was a sad time for all of us. I was, I was a mess. Um, and I looked for like a month to find this cat. And eventually we went down to Hastings after a few weeks because we thought that a cat that somebody found was Shadow. And we brought this cat home. And I think there was a lot of wishful thinking going on because uh, uh, Hope saw the cat and said, that's not Shadow. So we had another uh, black cat. We named him Carbon, because he was a carbon copy of uh, Shadow. <laughs> <laughs> but when Zoe said to me, um, yeah, I, I made this back when, when Shadow ran away. I said, yeah, we're praying a lot about that. So God didn't answer that prayer the way that we, we wanted to or the way that we thought he would, but he did answer it. He answered it in a different way. And we, we love this cat. Um, but, you know, I think it's a reminder to us that God doesn't always answer our prayer in the exact way that we want him to answer our prayer. And that's okay. Because God is wise. God has an ultimate plan. And I, I believe this, I honestly believe this, that when you pray to the Lord, God will answer your prayer with exactly what you ask for, or he will give you something that he knows is better for you in the long run something that he and his plan and his wisdom, taking into account you and everything and his grand plan that he's doing is better in the long run. And sometimes maybe we figure that out and we have, we're able to realize, oh, okay, this is what you're doing. Sometimes, no, we would never figure that out in this life and we just have to trust God. We have to trust that I don't get it, but God gets it. He's the one that knows all this and I trust that he is answering our prayer in a way that he knows is genuinely best. And when that's true, we can rejoice. We can have that joy despite our circumstances, in the face of our circumstances, because God and his character doesn't change. Here's a question. Maybe you're asking this. You know, we're told that we're supposed to bring our requests to God. Does that mean that God doesn't know about it? That he's like, well, I would have helped you, but I didn't know that you needed this. I mean, there are times with other people in our life, it's like that times where I tell my kids or someone, I would have helped you, I just, I didn't know. Is it ever like that with God? And that's why we need to tell him. So he needs the information, needs the info. No, it's, it's, it's not like that. I believe that God knows. He knows what we need even before we realize it. Well, if that's the case, then why do we need to do this? Why do we need to actually 
go through the process of asking him? Why can't he just automatically do it? I think an answer to this is because we are created for a relationship with God. You're created for a relationship with God. And God is not some automated system just running in the background. And we shouldn't treat him like that, but we tend to. We tend to treat God like he's like some automated system, like you have systems on your computer that you never turn on. They just run in the background and do their own thing. You have stuff in your life, you have stuff in your body that just, it runs, you don't have to think about it. And sometimes we, if we believe in God, we think he's just like that. He runs in the background, he keeps the planet spinning, keeps things going, and it's great, I never have to think about him. But that's not great. Because life is not just, the good life is not just everything going smoothly for you. The good life ultimately is you having a relationship with God. The God that made you, the God that loves you, the God that wants you to know him and to treasure him. And so part of the reason that God has set things up like this that he wants us to ask, it's not because he's like, well, you know, I just need you to ask me or else I'm going to refuse to do it. No, it's because he wants you to have a relationship with him. And this is part of this. So you don't just treat him as some kind of background system. I think prayer really does change things. Prayer changes our relationship with God because we ask him, we have to connect with him, we have to, we're thinking about him, acknowledging him as the provider. Prayer also changes us. It changes our heart, it changes our disposition, it changes our attitudes. And, and I say this as someone that firmly believes in the sovereignty of God in all things, I am on record believing in the sovereignty of God in all things. Okay, I have a master's thesis and a PhD dissertation saying that I believe in the sovereignty of God in all things. I say this as that also that prayer does change circumstances. And it changes circumstances because, because God has determined to act in response to our prayers. God has ordained our prayers as a means to the end. It's part of the whole cause and effect system. Now, God knows in advance. He plans our prayers. He plans the whole thing. But it is part of it that we pray and things oftentimes happen differently in this world, in our lives, because of prayer than it would be if we did not pray. James 4, 2, at the end of that verse says, You do not have because you do not ask. Things are different because you didn't ask God for it. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then... If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So God has a plan. Yes, he does. But he uses prayer in the same way that he also uses you steering your car to get you home. So it does change things. It doesn't take away from God's sovereign plan, but it is part of it. So prayer does change things. 
And see, we have problems in life. The devil wants to use your problems to keep your focus off of God. God wants to use your problems to bring you to him. The devil is going to want to use your worries, your anxieties to keep your focus off of God. But God wants you, when you have these things that that cause problems, that cause worries, that cause anxiety, to bring you closer to him because he wants you to have a relationship with him because he knows that's what's best. That's what's best for you. And that's where true joy and true comfort is really found. And so we do pray to God when we go to him. Verse 7 tells us that God, through this, will give your heart his gift of supernatural peace. There is a peace that he gives that is, is beyond our thinking, that's beyond what we just see in this world. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Taking away your anxiety is not the same thing as taking away your problems. Okay, so I'm not saying in this, the passage is not saying, pray to God and your problems disappear. That's not how it works. Sometimes that is. Uh, Short term, sometimes after a while, but God doesn't always, or sometimes even often do that. But he does give your heart the opposite of anxiety. He gives your heart a deep peace. But it doesn't mean that he takes away your problems. And this peace that he gives us that says here, this is a peace that is not based on your circumstances, but this is based on the character, the promises, and the power of God. As you think of those things, that this is what this, this peace, this calmness, this wholeness that he gives to you, uh, that it's, it's based on him. It's based on who he is, his character. So the more that you're in God's word, the more you're worshiping him, you're coming to know him uh, in all the ways that he's, told us to come and know him in prayer, building relationships, the more that you know his character and the more that's going to enhance the the peace that you have, the more that you know his promises, legitimate promises that he has for us in scripture. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. The more you can believe that and recognize his power, his power along with this, you know, his, his wisdom, all of this that it's one thing to make a promise. You know, sometimes we make a promise to other people and we just can't keep it because we didn't know we'd get that flat tire. We didn't know that, you know, we'd have to, something would happen to the trip or the, we wouldn't have the money that we thought we had. That never happens for God. He knows the beginning from the end. He is unlimited in his, his power and his ability. God makes a promise. He's going to keep his promise. And it's something that you can absolutely depend on. And so God, along with this, I think there is something supernatural that happens through the Holy Spirit. I mean, you could, with your mind, know about the the character of God and the the promises and the power, and that's true, and we should. God works through our mind, but I think he also works through it, and the Holy Spirit uh, gives us peace in our heart as well. And I think it is something supernatural, that it's something that can't be explained by just this world, that God does something to our heart. And it's real. It's not just a coping mechanism. And many of you here, I know you've experienced it. 
And I know if we had testimony time, there's many, many of you here that could testify to this. That God has put you through a situation where you would have thought there was no way at all that you could endure it, but you did. Or you are. Because God gives his grace when we need it. And he gave it to you richly, even in the midst of the worst circumstances. And through that, God gave you a peace that you would have never expected. Because he doesn't give it ahead of time. He gives it to you exactly when you need it. I know me and Hope, we've experienced that too. You can know that the peace that passes understanding it's real. Because of your past experiences, you can know it because of other Christians that would testify to it. And most of all, because the Bible tells you that it is real. And you know, God has a great track record of taking bad and bringing good out of it. He has a fantastic track record in Scripture, in our lives, a great track record for faithfulness. Romans 8.32 says that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The logic of that verse is, if God loved you enough to give his son to die on the cross for your salvation, and we take the Lord's Supper, that's what we're remembering, the the body and blood of Christ, his sacrifice for us. If God, the Father, loved you enough to do that, obviously he loves you enough to take care of your other needs. If he can do the big thing, he's going to do the easier things in your life. He's already demonstrated his love for you. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for you. And therefore, he's going to continue to take care of you. You're his child, his son, his daughter. He's going to care for you. Don't doubt that. Worry is problem solving without God, but peace comes from bringing your problem to God in prayer. And remember, the purpose of all of this is not ultimately just your personal comfort. And we tend to think that's the ultimate goal in life is my personal comfort. No, the end goal is not just therapy. The end goal of all of this is worship. Remember the beginning to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. That is the ultimate thing to rejoice in the Lord. Some of you are going through difficult times. I know that. And if not now, eventually you will be. And I can't promise you that God will take away your problem. But I can promise that God will give you the grace that you need when you need it. Let's pray. God, our Father, we pray to you as one who hears And Lord, we thank you that you hear us now. You hear us when we come to you through Jesus Christ. And Lord, I know that there are people here that are hurting, that have worries, anxieties, their health, issues with loved ones, relationships, insecurities about the future, Lord God, so many different things. Lord, cause us Help us to have hearts that always bring these things to you with thanksgiving, with trust in who you are, your character, God, your promises and your power, Lord. 
and that you're a God that hears, and that you're a God that acts. Lord, thank you that you respond. Thank you that you give what is truly best. And we thank you that through everything, even in our circumstances, whether the circumstances are changed or not, that you give grace and you give a peace, Lord God, a peace that is deeper than any of our circumstances. So we pray for that, Lord. We ask for that. Lord, may everyone here trust you through Jesus Christ, your Son, who gave himself on the cross for our salvation, to call upon you as Father and to trust in your care. May Jesus Christ be glorified. In his name we pray. Amen.